0: You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Lisa Keefe, editor in chief of Meeting Place and Alt Meat. Welcome to this month's Meeting Pod episode dedicated to the meat alternatives market. Support for this podcast comes from Pressapack. To update a phrase my grandmother used to use, if I had a dollar for every prediction I've read of the future size of the plant-based alt-meat market, I could, well, I could at least buy my family a nice dinner. But the numbers are all over the map, and while some are based in measurable data, others reflect more of a mission than a mathematical calculation. A new report by Bloomberg Intelligence takes a different approach. Using information on likely market penetration scenarios based on observable experience, Bloomberg's market researchers backed into calculations of projected growth rates. By doing so, their data is more substantial than some other reports that try to cover the same ground. And still, Bloomberg was able to give its report the title, Plant-Based Foods Poised for Explosive Growth. I discussed the report and its methodology with Jennifer Bartaschus, senior analyst for food. And food retail in the Americas for Bloomberg Intelligence. So, I have a couple of questions I'd like to ask about Bloomberg's assumptions and the way that you went about quantifying this information. The top line with the global plant based alternative market perhaps swelling to 162 billion in a decade from about 30 billion now, that is alt meat in all other categories, right? That's the whole caboodle.
1: Correct. That's a global number and that includes both meat alternatives as well as dairy alternatives and then other alternatives like eggs, you know, or condiments or dressings and things like that. So it's everything together.
0: Now, what assumptions did Bloomberg make in your research for the size of of that market space? What were your major assumptions and and the and the, the inputs that you were putting in there? if your numbers differ from somebody else's for example i mean there's a science to this kind of thing and then there's an art so i'm asking what the art is i guess
1: yeah it is definitely a combination of of art and science and so the way we approach this is and it's about 510 billion dollars for dairy and so when you put those together we came up with a baseline number of 1.8 trillion dollars for 2020 and then what we really looked at and the way we approach this is instead of trying to apply a sales growth algorithm we really looked at penetration of the overall potential market because that's that's the context that a lot of people look at when they think about these alternative products. So for meat and fish alternatives, ultimately, we think that the alternative products are going to reach a 5% market penetration. And so what we see is we see that, that penetration stepping up over the next decade to reach 5% in 2030. Now, at the same time, the global demand for protein is also going to continue to rise, but it's rising at a, at a fairly slow and stable rate. So from that $1.3 trillion that we think is the baseline, the meat category globally, uh, we think that's going to go to about $1.5 trillion in 2030. So, a, you know, slow but steady growth. And so our assumptions are on the penetration rate of that total market size over the next 10 years to ultimately land at 5% of the total market of $1.5 trillion in 2030, which then comes out to be about $74 billion for plant-based meats.
0: I see. You've sort of taken an approach to calculating the size of the market that's that's maybe starting at what you see as a potential endpoint, what looks like would be a logical potential endpoint.
1: That market penetration would go to 0.5 percent and then 0.8 percent. So it's it and then it accelerates from there because you know there are a lot of catalysts that we think are going to come into play that will help drive the sales. And so it's not simply saying that it's going to increase by the same amount every year between now and 2030, but it's really looking at the nuance of where is the market today, where are some of these catalysts going to come into play. And how can they then help us accelerate to the point where we hit that 5% penetration by 2030?
0: There's so many catalysts, but then there are also a lot of headwinds. So where do you, as the researcher, marrying that art and science, where do you see the energy behind these growth rates and what are the challenges that you see ahead? And how do they measure against one another so that you get this increasing rate of growth over time? Where do you think that some some of the challenges will be overcome, and some of the catalysts will get stronger, for example?
1: A lot of the catalysts that we're seeing are consumer-driven. And then as we progress later over the years, the catalysts then shift to be more focused on the, the production side and the efficiencies that can be gained and the scale that comes to play um, that will help accelerate the market even further. So in the short term, what we're seeing is that you know consumers are Becoming aware of some of these products. Trial is still fairly new, but that there are things that are driving consumer interest, whether it's promotions at restaurants like we saw with the Impossible Whopper or with Beyond Meat Chicken Nuggets coming at KFC. These are things that capture the public imagination and make it all of a sudden almost normal to want to try some of these products. The fact that a lot of these products are in grocery stores and they're now placed directly next to the conventional products is just helping discovery. And what we're seeing from purchasing data from IRI, for example, is that repeat rates are starting to rise so that when somebody does try it, they're buying it again. That's where you see those repeat rates kind of tick up again, because price is still part of a factor in a lot of decision-making around these products. So that, again, also varies because it it changes from month to month and what retailers are focused on. So it is a little bit hard to pick out the long-term trend in, in terms of, of where those sales are going. Uh, but we can see that the, the actual dollar sales growth for alternative meat product is definitely on the rise.
0: Are you including both frozen and refrigerated slash fresh meat substitutes and seafood substitutes in these calculations, or is it just one or the other?
1: The year-over-year sales change as of the beginning of August it was up almost 11% versus last year. And the volume sold, which is actually a more important figure because it's telling you how much of the product is actually being sold versus the, the sale dollars associated with it, was up almost 7%. So that is a little bit lower than than what we saw at the height of the pandemic. There are probably a few reasons behind that. But when yeah. you look at that versus, you know, conventional grocery items, that growth rate and that percent change from a year ago is still very strong compared to a lot of other categories.
0: My question is when we're looking at the total size of the market in Asia, well, in anywhere, how much of that includes some of these more traditional substitutes of like tofu and seitan? as opposed to like those new products that are specifically meant to substitute for meat.
1: That's an excellent and very nuanced question. With regards to things like tofu, those have been excluded from this. And so when we did the regional, especially for the regional outlook, if you included some of those long standing things like tofu or siten, the percentage for Asia would be much, much higher than what we're actually forecasting. So We have specifically excluded tofu and those in saitan products out of our forecast. We're looking at this as products that are true replacement products for an existing protein.
0: We'll return to our conversation in a moment after a word from our sponsor, Pressapak.
1: Pressapak, a a leading distributor of world-class food processing equipment for customers in the U.S. and Canada, now carries power heater technology from Source Technology. Power heater technology creates plant-based meat analogs with the shape, texture, appearance, and bite of natural whole muscle products. With growth projections of the meat substitute market at a CAGR of up to 15.1% through 2027, processors can enter the category, meet demand, and realize greater potential and profitability. Visit PressAPAC.com today to learn more about our meat alternative solutions. And now, back to the podcast.
0: You explain that Bloomberg Intelligence makes the assumption in this case that the adoption of alt-meat products will follow the adoption curve that we've already seen in the alt-milk space. What are the drivers of that assumption that the that the alt-meat adoption would be very similar to the alt-milk adoption?
1: One of the biggest things is, is just the placement of products in the grocery store. With alternative milk products, when silk put their first product in the dairy case back in the 90s, it accelerated growth at an incredible pace because people who were in the dairy section saw the alternative directly next to the conventional product. It's that type of approach that we're seeing in grocery where these products are not necessarily being cordoned off on their own for the majority of retailers at least, but are side by side to conventional products in the fresh case or in the frozen case, that is one of the biggest drivers to following that type of adoption curve because it just unlocks discoverability. It unlocks comparability for consumers where they don't have to go out of their way to find products um, or, or stray into a, a section of the grocery store that may be intimidating if they're not a vegetarian or, or things like that. So that is one of the big drivers that we think is is pushing that similarity in terms of adoption curve. And the second thing is just the evolution in formulation and taste. As alt-milks refine their approach and they improve the taste and the texture and the quality of the product, and because they were invisible, that was another big catalyst that helped the alternative milks grow to the, the level of penetration that they have. And so that's that's the other thing that we're seeing on the alt-meat side. It's just that the, the formulations are getting better, the taste is continuously evolving, and that we think that's another major catalyst that will that will help um, inform that penetration rate over time.
0: Looking at some of your projections, I mean, the, the first set you're saying in like four years, it's going to go from, well, five years, I guess, from 4.2 billion in 2020 to 28 billion in 2025. And then when we're looking ahead to 2030, you sort of have a range of possible outcomes. As I was looking at your, your projections, I think 118 at the top end and 37 at the low end, for example, by 2030. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought, well, that's quite a range. And this may be more of a marketing research question. Is that kind of range typical when making a projection like this? Or are you just seeing so many moving parts that there could be an awful lot of things that, that could happen between now and 2030?
1: Yeah, it's it's a combination of the two. Um, one, there's there's a bit of a range because again, as as the methodology, we're looking at the total penetration of a huge market uh, when you're thinking about that the 1.2 trillion dollar market. And so part of it is just that that base is so big that even a small change in the penetration rate will give you a, a bigger you know a bigger differentiation between kind of what our assumption case is and then a slower growth rate or a faster growth rate. Um, but in addition, uh, uh, as you alluded to, there are there are things that are out there that could influence the evolution of this industry. So, if you think about, for example, what might influence lower growth, there are a lot of things happening right now in terms of legal cases, attempts to you know ban alternative protein companies and, and products from using words like meat or milk on the labels. So, you know, if there is traction in some of these types of areas that could restrict the way products are marketed, the way they're labeled, the way they're packaged, that would have a serious impact on how how fast the, the, the industry will grow. On the flip side, um, things that could enable faster growth. Within the pandemic, we saw an example where meatpacking plants got backed up, meat prices went through the roof. All of a sudden, these um, alternative meat products were Um, more widely available and and were at a a reasonable price point compared to where conventional products were. That accelerated some trial during the pandemic. You could see any kind of of event like that that would also then provide a catalyst for an upside. Anything that would influence the the actual conventional meat prices and availability and, and anything that made those more expensive or increased the scarcity. There's a lot of controversy and a lot of energy being expended on the part of conventional players to sort of try to box out alternative meat players. Um, And yet, even with our projection, which is, it was, you know, we're still only saying that it's going to reach 5% penetration of the global total market over the next 10 years. And to me, that just reinforces the fact that there is room for everybody. When so many companies are participating in this space, um, it's like the, the 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 saying a rising tide lifts all boats. There's so much room for growth and so much opportunity for growth. It's distracting that that people are are so focused sometimes on on things like labels or or how things you know how items get classified. Um, And I think the other thing that I would point out is that we're still at the tip of the iceberg. You know, we've got some pretty robust products on the market for beef replacements and burgers, um, for sausages. Um, We're starting to see more innovation with chicken and that's growing. And and we think it's going to grow very quickly over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, But we still don't have a a market leader in bacon. We still don't have a market leader in pork. You know, we still are, are at the very beginnings of seafood. And so there's just so much runway for growth that it's just a very, very exciting time to be following the industry and be involved with the industry. So much room for opportunity that, why spend the effort battling each other when, when everyone can share in the growth and the opportunity? And again, it's not like alternative meats are going, to, you know, are going to revolutionize the entire meat industry anytime soon. Again, we're expecting only 5% global penetration over the next 10 years. That means 95% of the market will still be conventional. Yeah, you know, it's a slow-moving evolution, but it is still an exciting evolution.
0: Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and follow Meeting Place and AltMate magazines on social media or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net.